Hello. First, my apologies that this reflection is rather delayed in coming to you. The inspiration for it arrived appropriately at the time of the national celebrations, but has been delayed in its production due to the several weeks brain fog I had while I've been ill. Now, we've all heard a lot about Jubilee recently. We've all enjoyed extra holidays, just because our wonderful Queen has sat on the throne for 70 years. Some of us have put up bunting and flags, dressed in red, white and blue, enjoyed street parties and sampled platinum pudding and so on. Perhaps that is all we associate with Jubilee. But did you realise that in its original meaning, it goes far beyond these somewhat superficial celebrations? Nowadays, the term Jubilee is pretty well synonymous with anniversary. But originally it had a more limited meaning and seems to have been derived from Old Hebrew and Biblical practice. The word itself is derived from Yobel, meaning a curved ram's horn. In Old Testament times, such a horn was used as a trumpet to call the people to combined action or celebration, or to rally them for war or worship. For example, a trumpet called the people towards Mount Sinai in the time of Moses, Exodus 19, and one was used again by Joshua when attacking Jericho, Joshua chapter 6. But we find the specific instructions for the Jubilee year and the use of the ram's horn in Leviticus 25 to 27 and Numbers 10. In Leviticus, after giving instructions about the weekly Sabbath and then the Sabbath or seventh year, it goes on to speak at length of the importance and practice of celebrating the 50th or Jubilee year. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land and you shall consecrate the 50th year. These instructions given by God to the nation of Israel were invariably far more enlightened and positive than the ones which governed the way the nations around Israel celebrated their festivals. They were obviously important then, but I also believe we can learn from them still today. The Jewish New Year was somewhat strangely set in the 10th month and known as the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. It lasted for 10 days and was immediately followed by Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It was celebrated each year, but every seventh year was a special or Sabbath year and then every 50th year was an extra special or jubilee year. As we read on in Leviticus, we find four important features were to characterise the year of jubilee. Number one, at the beginning of the jubilee year, the people were to celebrate the new year as usual, but perhaps in a special way in a special year. It was the annual opportunity for the people both to look back in gratitude 
or perhaps with regret, and then look forward to a change for the future. It was 10 days of reflection and repentance, which culminated with the visit of the high priest to the Holy of Holies to offer the annual sacrifice for the people's sins. It was therefore God's gift to Israel for them to be able to start over afresh. The Jubilee year was not just a special and holy new year for them, it also gave the people a chance to reset their own personal spiritual thermostats, their relationship with their God and each other, and to make significant changes in other ways too. Number two, in the Jubilee year, the people were to be able to return to their ancestral land, even if they had previously lost it or had had to sell it due to various reasons of economic hardship. God had decreed that the land could not be sold permanently. Instead, every 50th year, this bit of the socio-economic thermostat was to be reset. Thus the poor should not become poorer or the rich richer. There was never to be a long-lasting, totally unequal distribution of wealth. In this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. Number three. In the Jubilee year, the people were to let their fields lie fallow, meaning that they would not plant new crops, but give the land a year of rest. In fact, this was to happen every seventh year. And so in the Jubilee year, the land was actually to receive two years rest. Now, although one year of leaving the land fallow might be considered a good agricultural practice, two years could have been regarded as a real hardship. However, God promised blessing and plenty of food for three years if they obeyed his instructions. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. For it's a jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You may eat of the produce of the land. I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. Number four. In the Jubilee year, any slaves were to be freed, and this was to apply both to the people of Israel themselves and to strangers who dwelt in their land. Again, it was an opportunity to reset a part of the socio-economic thermostat and redress any injustice or oppression or hardship that had previously occurred. It showed that God cared for each of the people individually. He wanted all the people to enjoy real freedom. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, he shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. Earlier, I mentioned that I believe these ancient principles still have something to say to us today. But what? Perhaps you can guess that for yourselves. Let me just offer a few suggestions in the current world context. 
First, the principle of regular spiritual reassessment. Looking back and looking forward, the last two to three years have challenged us to re-examine our lives and priorities. Sadly, many have struggled with mental stress and so been unable to look at the issues from God's perspective and make the right adjustments that maybe are needed in their lives. Second, the principle of restitution of land and property. We only need look around us to see instead a principle of greed, of the rich getting richer and the poor poorer. We could consider that what's happening in Ukraine today is just one gross example of land snatch rather than land return. Third, the principle of creation care. It's almost certain that Israel never fully obeyed the instruction to let their land lie fallow every year, every seventh year and 50th year. In 2 Chronicles 36, it seems to hint that God allowed the Israelites to go into exile for 70 years, partly to give their land the rest that they had denied it through disobedience. Today, I doubt that anyone is any longer able to deny that we too have not been looking after our world as we should have done. We all know with absolute certainty that we are living through a climate crisis. Perhaps those two recent days of heatwave were really a blessing in disguise, a warning to us to act now. Fourth, the principle of personal liberty. I'm sure you've noticed that there is so much in the news about unjust migrant issues, modern day slavery and so many other matters that deny children, women and other vulnerable groups the respect and rights that God wants all his people to enjoy and that they deserve. So here's my challenge to you. Have a look again at Leviticus 25 to 27 and then spend some time reflecting on what God might be saying to us today. Remember, God's principles remain the same.